So I want to start my talk today with an acknowledgement. I want to acknowledge our land ancestors, the Dakota people whose land this is, and also the African-Americans who founded the Rondo neighborhood where we're located. I want to acknowledge our blood ancestors, the people who loved and raised us and are responsible for our being born and being here and also our spiritual ancestors, all of our spiritual teachers from India, China, and Japan, and especially our Japanese ancestors who brought this practice to the United States and through their boundless generosity made it available to everyone. We should never forget that we're intimately connected past, present, and future. So um, I had a Dharma talk idea for today. Uh, as I often do, um, but after the recent uh, events around the Soto Zen Buddhist Association sanction of Dosho Port, who was one of the founders of Clouds and Water, and our conversation as a community about ethics and healing and accountability, I didn't feel like giving that talk anymore, so you'll have to wait for next time. So instead, I want to talk a little bit about ethics and healing and accountability. Um, I feel very strongly there's a stage in healing from trauma, whether that's personal or collective, that involves finding a way to speak truthfully in an upright way. Um, and I also think in a healthy community, there aren't certain topics that are off limits. Sometimes in Buddhism, I worry that we mistake right speech for not speaking up. And we mistake equanimity for silence. Abuse of power thrives in secrecy, and it thrives in silence. And I feel like the more that we're open and ventilated, the less likely we're to we are to have situations of harm come up. So in that spirit, I want to offer some remarks, and then we'll have a little time for a conversation. So just to make sure everyone is caught up about what I'm talking about, um, a little over a week ago, maybe two weeks now, um, Sosan sent a letter to our whole Sangha entitled Preventing Ethical Violations by Teachers. And this letter had input from the Sangha leadership, including all of the transmitted teachers. This letter addressed the new ethical guidelines for priests that have been released by the Soto Zen Buddhist Association. And it also addressed the indefinite suspension of Zen priest dosha port for ethical violations that occurred at the Nebraska Zen Center. The letter also referenced dosha's past ethical violations as the guiding teacher of clouds and water, uh, which he held from 1998 to 2004. These violations included sexual and financial misconduct and abuse of power. So uh, 22 of us gathered last Sunday to have a council circle about this, and there's another 
uh, circle scheduled uh, via Zoom on Tuesday if you're interested. But this talk isn't really about DOSHA port or the SZBA guidelines. Um, it's about me and you and our community. That's just the jumping off point. So ethical guidelines or precepts are really at the core of our Soto Zen practice. The three pure precepts and the 10 prohibitory precepts are formally given in the Jukai ceremony. So that's, if you see people wearing these rakusus, that means they've received those precepts in a formal way. But they're also given when people are ordained as priests or initiated as lay Dharma teachers. And they're also given during Dharma transmission. So they're so important that you just keep receiving them as you go along your path. It's not a kind of one and done situation. And we recite them every month um, in the full moon precept ceremony, which we're not doing on a full moon anymore, but that's the ceremony. So, so they're really, really important. They're not a sideshow to the main practice of sitting meditation or zazen. That's what I kind of used to think. Like, well, the main deal is sitting meditation, and then there's these like precepts over here. In my mind now, they're really the heart of practice because they shape how we move through our lives in relationship to each other and to ourselves and to the entire world. And connected to the core practice of precept keeping is uh, repentance. So every service we do at Clouds contains a chance for us to recite the verse of formless repentance where we um, really acknowledge our ancient twisted karma and also our wish uh, to be upright in the world. And this is the first thing we say in the morning here in morning service, like the first words we say. Usually, like I get up when I'm able to come in the morning, I get up and I'm not talking because no one's awake in my house. So get up, go sit. And that's first words that we speak. So it's a great, great practice. So maybe like some of you, I came into Zen practice with the idea that this was an individual practice of liberation. Uh, I think my conditioning as a white person and an American person affected that. Um, I didn't know how deeply practice is really about community and relationships. Uh, but if you read the stories from the Buddha's life, there's the subtext all the time of the community that he practiced with. It's all over if you look for it. Um, lots of stories of the communities uh, interacting and learning and having difficulties with each other and having to get through those. Um, all the stories really talk about that. I was also a pretty broken person when I first came to Zen, uh, which caused me to look outside myself probably more than I should have for validation and approval and spiritual wisdom. So in my talk today, I want to address a little bit both our responsibility as students and practitioners, along with the responsibilities of spiritual teachers and leaders. 
So one of the reasons that Sosan and the transmitted teachers felt it was important to send that letter was what we often use the term, our duty of care to the Sangha. So more than ever, there's this vast spiritual marketplace out there. Um, and even if you just remain within Soto Zen, you know, there's a lot of teachers, a lot of centers, a lot of styles of practice available. It's all online. You know, you kind of access a lot of different teachings and teachers. But it's really important as students that we do our due diligence and not get swept up uh, by someone's personal charisma or charm, I think. So I thought about a few things that we can kind of look for. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is Miyoshin's list, but just some things. So one thing is to notice who's around this teacher. Are they people of character that you would like to be associated with? Are there ethical guidelines and grievance policies in place and are these communicated? Is there a sense of joy in the practice? Do people practicing in this community or with this teacher generally seem to be happy? You know, they seem like this is, they want to be there. Is the teacher isolated and disconnected from peers or are they connected and engaged? in a broader, a broader system of practice? Does the teacher express jealousy toward or disparage other teachers and communities or restrict their students from practicing elsewhere? Or are students free to come and go as their needs change? Are students expected to ignore their personal needs and relationships under the guise of demonstrating their commitment to practice? Or are they encouraged to uphold their personal relationships and responsibilities? I could go on, but that gives you an idea of some of the kinds of things that I think we have to watch for. In a similar vein, um, as Zen practitioners and students, it's important for us to own our own spiritual power and authority rather than looking for someone else to hold this for us. We need to understand that all spiritual teachers, whatever their wisdom and practice, are ordinary human beings who make mistakes. <laughs> I probably will make numerous mistakes in this talk, actually. So I read this quote by Scott Adelstein, and I want to give a shout out to Ty for who might be there. Uh, for uh, mentioning his work to me. I'm studying this right now in a class, but anyway. Um, he says, questioning or challenging a teacher is a vital part of any student-teacher relationship. When something a teacher says doesn't hold up to your careful observation, it's important to question them, challenge them, or ask them to help you refine your understanding. When a teacher's response falls short, it gives you a better feel for their weaknesses and limitations. When questioned, it also gives the teacher a better sense of how you think and feel. So, you know, engaging in spiritual practice is an inherently vulnerable activity. I don't know what else there is to say about that. It's just true. Um, so this makes ethical violations in this sphere particularly hurtful. And in my mind, it means 
we have to take special, special care. So this means that the responsibilities of teachers go far beyond just avoiding harm. It's not enough to just avoid sexual relationships with students stealing money from the Zen Center or abusing alcohol drugs. So those are all <laughs> those are all in the Soto Zen policy. And I mean, all those things have happened and they're really important to not do. But it's not like, well, we don't do those things, so yay, we're good, you know? It's sort of like um, the first precept is um, protect life, you know, or don't kill, practice non-killing. So, it, but, but to fully embody that precept, it's not just enough not to murder someone. You know, that's not the standard. And it's the same for, for spiritual teachers, you know? That's not, like, that's just a baseline, right? And, and it, it's a little bit funny, but those things, like, teachers do abuse alcohol and drugs, and they do steal money, and they do act in sexually inappropriate ways. So, like, those are real things that happen. But the policy from uh, Soto Zen Buddhist Association also says SDBA members and members are priests, are Soto Zen priests, have a special responsibility to ensure a safe practice environment for all Zen students, Zen Center and Temple members, and Zen Center and Temple visitors. So a safe practice environment it goes way beyond just not doing the most egregious violations. And we drink a lot of just to say. So the Jesus lovingly offer this water and I always forget. And then I'm really thirsty. So I want you to know about some of the things we do at Clouds as teachers to try to create that safe practice environment. And um, some of them might not be that visible to Sangha participants. So I want to highlight some of those just for your information. And I'm not highlighting them because it means 100% automatic, there's never a problem, or a teacher never says or does something that's harmful. But just these are some of the things we do um, to try to create the conditions for a safe practice environment. So you may have heard to us refer, you may have heard us refer frequently to something called the teacher Rio, which just means a Rio is simply a group. And at Clouds, um, the teacher Rio consists of transmitted priests and one lay Dharma teacher, that's me, along with um, the priests and lay teachers in training who are moving into teaching roles. So they're a ways into their training. It meets twice a month and participation is required. We also have a subgroup of the teacher Rio that's just transmitted teachers and we meet monthly. So these groups serve many functions. Um, one is that they offer support and shared decision-making for Sosan, who is our guiding teacher. They give members a peer group of other teachers, so we feel supported. They offer us space to talk through ethical issues or questions with each other. They give us a chance to participate in learning opportunities, especially about power relationships, ethics, and anti-racism. We also do some coaching and role playing to help us improve how we meet with students one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we do check-ins every time about how we're doing in our practice. Um, 
And we do the practice of flower watering, which is basically it's one person's turn each month and everyone shares positive qualities they see in that person, which helps us feel um, nourished and not just sort of burned out and like giving, giving, giving all the time, you know. I'll say personally that it's my feeling that we've worked hard to understand and acknowledge the power that we hold as leaders in the community, rather than not owning that power or walking away from it. So in my mind, that is just as dangerous, and it's also a misuse of power if we just say, well, everything's just all, you know, even, nobody has any power more than another person. But if you're in a teaching and leadership role, that role itself has some amount of power. And if we step forward in that and acknowledge that, uh, in my mind, that's a way of creating a safe practice environment. I also feel like uh, by having a teacher Rio, it means hopefully that we're sharing the work around here a bit so that we feel like we can take time to care for our relationships outside of the Sangha, including our spouses, our children, our good friends. Um, and I think that's also very protective. Um, if teachers here feel like we have deeply intimate relationships outside of the Sangha and we're getting our emotional needs met in healthy ways in our lives. Um, all, the, all the priests and lay teachers in training also participate in a peer practice and study group monthly, and that serves some of the same functions. So this is all kind of maybe happening behind the scenes, but I wanted to let you know uh, this is something we have here, maybe a little bit unique, um, but I think it's really important. Another thing that you may know about that we have at Clouds is uh, more specific practices of dealing with ethical violations when they do come up through an ethics policy and through the Ethics and Reconciliation Committee, which is there to help resolve conflicts within the saga. The Air Committee has also been developing a more expansive vision of issues of power and how we can practice non-harming individually and as a saga and this includes issues of race and class and gender and sexual orientation. It's very broad understanding of power. And we have a new statement of not harming that's really an example um, of this understanding. Clause is also structured in a practical way so that our guiding teacher position is separate from the executive director position and we are incorporated as a nonprofit with a board of directors who has the fiduciary responsibility. So that helps prevent uh, Sangha funds from being misused. Um, the Sangha's budget and financial records are disclosed to the Sangha and they're open for review at any time. So in that realm of financial malfeasance, we also have a lot of uh, things in place to make sure that everything is above board. So before the pandemic, uh, we had a set of brochures that were available that have now disappeared, <laughs> but I hope they come back uh, soon. And one of the brochures is uh, a lovely brochure. I'm sorry this copy is a little wrinkled, but it's called Our Vows to You. And I wanted to just share some of this because I think it's really beautiful. It's um, and hopefully reappearing to a brochure rack near you. Um, I think in the pandemic, we kind of got away from like, stuff people were taking and touching, but 
but this is really good. And it talks about our teacher's vows to you, your rights as a student, and our commitment to cultivating an ethical community. So all very good things. So I wanted to share uh, our teacher's vows to you. So these are the things that all of us as teachers promise to do. So whether teaching a class or meeting with you individually, teachers at Clouds vow to uh, honor the development of the student's practice as the exclusive consideration in this relationship. So what that means is this is about your practice, your spiritual development, but it's not about like doing therapy, giving you advice about your budget, um, your relationship, your, I don't know, job, whatever. We're not straying into trying to tell you how to take care of your life as a whole. Uh, we're clear about what this is about and what we're doing here. Uh, we vow to practice the precepts, including practicing non-harming, not misusing power and influence, not engaging in sexual harassment, not having a sexual relationship with a student, disclosing and or avoiding dual relationships, and not using a student-teacher relationship for personal gain. So we promise to do that. Uh, I'll just say dual relationships are when two people know each other in more than one context. And when that's problematic is if I, like for instance, if I were to ask a student to do childcare for me or come and clean my house, um, in some cases, dual relationships are acceptable, but they should always be open and clear. Uh, three, support you in questioning the advice, counsel, or teaching of any teacher or leader. So we want to have an environment where it's okay to ask questions or say, I know this doesn't land with me quite right, or I don't agree with you. And we want to support students in doing that, support all of us in doing that. Uh, four, not making your attendance at clouds contingent on subscribing to a particular belief, except where expression of such belief would cause harm to marginalized groups. So you don't have to assign something to be here. You don't have to sign on to a particular set of beliefs. Um, and we don't require that. And the exception is that uh, we also um, want to uphold the, the dignity and uh, safety of groups that have traditionally been marginalized. So if people are expressing homophobic or racist or other kinds of uh, expressions, uh, we would not encourage that in our community. But, but in terms of your spiritual beliefs, those are yours and we're not, uh, we want to encourage you uh, to express those fully and that your attendance isn't contingent. On that. Um, and then maintain confidentiality with a few exceptions. So we do sometimes confer in the teacher Rio, uh, keeping student identity anonymous, usually about our own selves. Like, I'm struggling with this, with this person, I need help to be a better teacher. Um, we have a legal obligation to, approach, to report information about neglect or abuse of children plans for suicide or homicide or incapacitating substance abuse. So those are the exceptions. So those are some of our vows. And then also this lovely brochure covers some of your rights. 
So you have a right to expect we will uphold our vows. You can expect that of us. You can ask us to do that. You can expect that your membership at Clouds is not contingent on how much you do or do not give. And I would say that's financial giving as well as volunteer, volunteering. And that jobs, positions, opportunities, and offices will not be offered based on the amount anyone gives. I think that mostly refers to the financial amount. You can decide how much or how little you want to participate in any activities at Clouds. And you can expect we keep your personal contributions, your financial contributions, private. So the brochure ends by talking about um, we encourage you, if you feel anyone's in violation of these guidelines, or if you have a concern, that you report it, that you tell someone, don't just leave. I mean, you can leave, but also it's helpful to the community if you tell someone so we can take care of it. So you can tell really anyone on the Teacher Rio, but if you don't feel comfortable with that, you can go to the EAR committee, which is just EAR at cloudsandwater.org or anyone on the board of directors, board at closethewater.org. Those are easy to remember. So this is not always, you know, the most pleasant territory to walk around in, I think. Um, we all hope that um, our beloved community and our practice that we care about so much is always a place of safety and uh, upholding of the precepts, but we know that's not always the case. And so I feel it's so important that from time to time we set aside a little space to talk about these things and to be clear. And it's uh, my deep hope that together no matter what our role is at Clouds, uh, we are creating a community of not government together. So that's that's all I have to say at this moment uh, with this talk. Uh, so I really welcome anything people would like to share. Yes, please. One of the most difficult things for me regarding Zen, it really does have to do with the hierarchy and the way people are sort of moved through to become trained as priests and the fact that there is a hierarchy and the fact that all the teachers are white and right now they're all white and women or that's, uh, maybe they're not all women, sorry. <laughs> Um, but there are, I think they're all white-bodied people. And um, I, I have a yearning in me for representation in sort of the government, which I consider the teacher real because they're considered like the wise, trained people, um, to have a more, more light, like a representation that that isn't the only way to become wise and compassionate. And it's sort of built into this the system, like, uh, so anyway, I do struggle with that a lot, actually. And it keeps me somewhat always a little bit dancing with Zen, like, uh, it doesn't exactly feel 
like this container, I don't know where I belong in this container. Like it, it's, it's a confusing thing. It would be less confusing, I think, if you know, there were more, there's more. Right, exactly. Well, I could say maybe a few things. Yeah. Um, so for the people in Zoom, I know it's sometimes hard to hear questions in the room, but if I could summarize very briefly, Jibren just shared that uh, she sometimes struggles with the hierarchy of Zen and the fact, you know, there's this process you go through to become these teachers at Klaus, it's all, it appears to be all white-bodied people. How is there room for others to demonstrate their wisdom and compassion? Is that kind of more or less? In a role with power. In right? a role with power. So but as it begins. Right. So I would just say a few things um, from my point of view. So first of all, um, Sosan made a vow to ordain people of color and, and has done so. And so I feel very hopeful over time, uh, our membership will continue to become more diverse in its leadership role. Um, roles. So I hope people know that. Um, I also think uh, we are continually looking for ways to allow folks to have a voice. And I would feel sad if anyone felt like their wisdom was not able to be heard, whether that's in this space right now as we talk together. So when I give a talk, I always feel like this is the time to hear from everyone, not just teacher fills up the whole space. Um, so. I, I take that seriously, like, that's the time. Um, every Sunday, hopefully, there's some time for that. Uh, in our classes, I think we offer, try to offer a lot of space. In our council practice at the end of session, we always have space for everyone, everyone's voice, uh, to be present. Uh, but we are in a tradition that has come to us in a way where there is a certain hierarchy. And so I think to be skillful about how we work with that um, is really important. And I feel at Clouds, we're finding our way. It's a work in progress and you're all part of that. Um, I think that's maybe all I have at the moment. But, you know, I think everything you raised is important to keep asking and keep talking about. I don't have like a definitive, you know, answer, but I feel like we're in the middle of figuring out how do we look, how do we operate in a way. I appreciated like last week, I think it was, you set people up and you offered to the Sangha, hey, if you want to play a musical instrument, if you want to be somebody up here, go ask about it. Like, it's not just the priest path. Like, <laughs> Like that right. we're inspiring and inviting every right. single one of us to play roles in this right. drama of, of awakening. And also, I'll just say, me sitting here is somewhat unusual. I'm not a priest. You know, I mean, I've gone there. through a process, but I'm not. And um, I was sort of surprised, like I, I haven't met a lot of me anywhere. Mm -hmm. But when I was at uh, the Jukaye ceremony in Los Angeles, which had people from all these different sanghas. Um, there were a couple other women there wearing these green rock suits that I got to know. But in their communities, it's only the priests that give talks or lead classes. They really 
One of them, in fact, was going to ordain as a priest because she wasn't able to really, she got to wear this and do a lot of work for the community, but not a lot of leading. So, so even that, even to expand, to say, you know, we have another path where you can remain a lay person and still be in leadership, is, that's a thing. I mean, to us, it might still seem like that's really a narrow, but in the world of Soto Zen, it's, it's kind of big. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to leave time for some others, too. Anyone on Zoom, always you're welcome to type in the chat. And I see that there are two chats. I'm wondering if something has been said. Martha, I appreciate Cloud setting up policies and practice to keep ethical practice at the forefront. This is good practice and important to have the transparency in guardrails. Yes, it is. I don't know what else to say about that, but thank you, Martha. And if we forget, then you can remind. You can be the person that says, you know, we haven't talked about this in a while. We should do it. Yeah, the may, may I add to your answer? Sure. So in the time of Dosho, that he was a teacher who had things in a very vertical way. And so everybody was speaking to Dosho and not much with each other. And I think when Clouds was reformed, that the, there is this teacherio. And so Sosan has helped create this teaching group that we're all, I mean, that she's the head honcho, but really <laughs> we do things together and collectively and talk to each other. And people in the Sangha are encouraged to talk to each other and counsel process in many other ways that, that Clouds of Water has become much more horizontal as a, as a Sangha rather than vertical. So then, you know, my question is always, and so what's Clouds 5.0 look like? Like, what's the next step? How do we keep building that in and expanding that? And I don't want us ever to be at a place where we say, oh, we got it figured out. This is how we are. But how do we keep growing that sense of empowerment and community and collectivity? Yeah, hold on. I think. Andrea wants to say something. Oh, awesome. Hi. <coughs> nice to see you. Hi, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm new-ish to clouds, and I came from a sangha where a lot of harm came to me, and no one at that sangha has been able to recognize that. Um, and obviously, that's very painful for me. And one of the things I really love about Cloud is, clouds is how transparent you are about the work that you're doing. And so... I just I both deeply appreciate the policies and also Miosian that you that you spent time on this today. So thank you. It really helps me feel safe. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here. Kato. I would just say that having been around clouds uh, during the time um, when Dosho Port was in leadership and being here now, it simply feels different. And um, I appreciated your comment about um, do people look like they want to be here? Are, are, are the people associating with the leaders 
they look happy? Are they embodying joy? And um, my sense is yes, and that it, it feels good to be here. And, um, and when I, I've been in communities, I have been in communities where it, it doesn't feel so much that if there's it's like shrouded in secrecy or something and um so i appreciate this transparency uh that clouds has and is striving to uh, continue to develop so thank you so uh just to repeat briefly for our zoom friends uh kato shared that she was part of this community when dosha was here and then not and then now in the difference that she sees and the importance of feeling joy and that people are happy to be here and there's a kind of transparency now that wasn't there then it does feel safer and she says it makes it feel safer yeah i have kind of a weird question this is a kind of part of the the nuns kind of group uh -huh. There's this kind of this belief that, that we should, because people who have used religion or ideologies to um, abuse people, that um, if people had just no ideology, there'd be no abuse. And I kind of agree with that. I kind of disagree. It gets complicated because, you know, um, it may not be as severe due to, due to the nature of secrecy or the, due to the nature of intimacy, but it, but it can cause problems. So it it gets complicated for me. I'd have to talk to my dad about it. He's part of the Catholic Church, which has been known for a lot of problems, and maybe he'd be able to explain a little bit better. Um, and so it, it gets complicated for me because, like, well, yeah, if we all just had no ideology, we'd have no real path, but th there'd be no abuse. And it's like, well, there, it may not be the same kind of abuse, but there'd still be abuse. I mean, like a good example is there's a lot of nepotism going on and a lot of like cronyism going on in you know the film industry let's say uh -huh. and so you have a bunch of people that, that the only way you're going to get you know into the hollywood movies is if you have connections right right and so now there's all these good people that could be really really good actors and really really good directors and they can't mm -hmm. due to that kind of abuse so right it's complicated yeah well, I would, I would say that's not a weird question. That's actually an excellent point, especially your first point that you said about it seems in a way like it would be better to just not have any ideology at all, right? And then we could avoid this problem. And I think that's a real interesting thing to think about, and it sort of touches on my point a little bit about um, what if we just tried to have, you know, a completely flat practice community with no one really identified as a spiritual teacher or leader? And there are communities that operate that way, and I think that's great, you know, if you could pull it off. But my concern about that is that sometimes there actually is power happening, even in those places, but it's not acknowledged. And so that is, to my mind, pretty dangerous, even though it can seem appealing. So can we find a middle way where people are able to be helpful to other people because maybe they have practiced for longer or have studied some things or, you know, cultivated some level of stability that might be helpful to others? So in other words, maybe you're wearing 
a seat called teacher at a particular moment, but that that's held in a way that's understood as um, impermanent, interpenetrated with everyone, not like I'm inherently better, uh, like is it held lightly so that it's beneficial but not harmful, but yet it's also acknowledged. It's tricky. It's kind of a trickier thing to do, but I think worth trying. It's worth trying to do well. So thank you for that question. Oh, hi, Sosa. So that question also in your response reminds me of a story that um, Cedar Barstow tells, and she's the author of the book called Writers of Power, and teaches workshops on this. And she told the story of, of one exercise that they use where people are um, uh, looking at what it feels like to be in a position of power, or power up position, or power down position. And so she gives them like a, a scarf. The person who's in the power up position has a scarf around their neck, and then the other person doesn't. And they're just supposed to like, okay, now you're in play role, and not even talk so much, but just see what it feels like to be in this role of teacher and student. Here's one with the power, and here's one with the without without as much power. Not that they have no power. And so um, it happened where two people who were practicing that, and then the person who was had the scarf took off the scarf and gave it to the other person. I think thinking like. You know, we're just equal and I'm going to share my power. But then later when they reported back, the other person said, that made me feel really confused and scared. Like, I wasn't sure if this person was going to help me or protect me or, you know, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do then. And so I think what you said about, like, not being willing to hold our power or acknowledge it is also dangerous. So it's like looking at this whole thing of, sharing it and then but acknowledging that it's there and, and knowing that it's not um, uh, solid anyway right that's it right that's our teaching it's not solid um it's not solid and in a way you know my experience of being in the teaching seat is in a way like i'm just taking on momentarily this seed is kind of a representative of the wisdom that we all share for this moment in time. And then the Jisha comes and hands me these things in a respectful way, and it's just acknowledging that, but it's not about me, like my little limited self. And when we start thinking that as teachers, that's also very problematic. So we need to keep reminding, and that's why fortunately we have Teacher Rio, and then we make a lot of mistakes with each other. Maybe I didn't mention that. In the teacher reel, we sometimes we have conflicts or we say things and we practice. But we're practicing with each other, so hopefully we learn things and then when we're here, it goes a little better maybe. Um, but anyway, I think just holding it in that real uh, open way is so important. But also holding it. Oh yeah, Ty, hi. Thank you so much for this talk. So I just want to say that um, people like that thing about why, why do we um, why don't we just not have anything at all? It's like one of the very real dangers when ethics are violated uh, is that people then people don't they have this sangha and then the trust is broken and then they don't have anything. 
So, I mean, I think it's really, really important what we're doing to pay attention to the ethics. I remember when I first came to Clouds, it was because I had had a situation in another sangha where people were not as ethical as I would have wished. And I actually, my, my initial conversation with Sosan, and I explained the situation, she's like, well, we had something like that here. You know, I mean, like just the fact that there's a way to deal with it, not to expect that we're all going to be perfect, but that when something happens, there is a way to deal with it, I think is like so critically important. And um, just makes me over and over and over again, I'm just so grateful to be part of this community. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, I'm I'm out of words. So that's, <laughs> that's good. <laughs>